I'm going to preach from the epistle passage which I will first read for you. It's from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Reports of last Sunday's suicide bombing of an Egyptian church make for very difficult reading. A bombing at a chapel adjacent to Egypt's main Coptic Christian cathedral killed 25 people and wounded another 49 during Sunday Mass. An Associated Press reporter who arrived at the scene shortly after the blast saw blood-stained pews and shards of glass scattered across the chapel's floor. Men and women wailed and cried outside. I found bodies, many of them women, lying on the pews. It was a horrible scene, said cathedral worker Atia Maharis, who rushed to the chapel after he heard the blast. An angry crowd of several hundred people gathered outside the cathedral, chanting anti-government slogans and calling for the sacking of the interior minister, who's in charge of security. We sacrifice our soul and blood for the cross, some of them chanted. Others sang religious hymns and, raising their hands, screamed, Lord, have mercy. Anger is the natural response to the face of evil. Anger at the terrorists, of course. Anger at the government authorities in charge of security, even at such a time, surely. Anger at God. And yet, Egypt's Christians sing hymns to God asking him to have mercy, even as they proclaim their willingness to sacrifice their blood for the cross. Interviewed on the BBC, Bishop Angelos, the general bishop of the Coptic Orthodox Church in the United Kingdom, commented, it's a peaceful community. It's a community that has put up with persecution over decades and yet has never retaliated violently and continues to be forgiving. The Egyptian church is a living example of what the Apostle Paul asks of the Philippian Christians. Paul writes to a persecuted church, and he writes to them as a prisoner in chains for Christ. And yet he calls upon them, To rejoice. Of course, he doesn't suggest that they rejoice in their worldly circumstances, but despite them. 
He thinks they can do this because he thinks it's possible to rejoice in the Lord even when the Lord doesn't save them from persecution or imprisonment or martyrdom. Paul doesn't think that it's God's job to save us from the unpleasant situations we experience. If you make that job's job, uh, job description, then you will find yourself very disappointed in God because God doesn't always act to prevent evil. Rather, as Thomas Aquinas wrote, this is part of the infinite goodness of God that he should allow evil to exist and out of it produce good. Paul adopts the same attitude towards suffering for Christ as Daniel's friends had in the face of Nebuchadnezzar's threat to throw them into a brick kiln for refusing to worship the golden statue. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve the gods or worship the golden statue that you set up. So Paul doesn't think God will necessarily save us in a temporal sense from every unpleasant situation. But he is confident that God will save us in an eternal sense in and through every temporal situation. I eagerly expect and hope, he writes, that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Philippians 1, 20-21. In the face of persecution, Paul calls upon Christians to let their gentleness be evident to all. And the term translated here as gentleness uh, was often used to describe an attitude of kindness where the normal response would be retaliation. Like the persecuted church in Egypt, the Philippians are not to take revenge upon their persecutors, but to demonstrate the meekness and gentleness of Christ, to overcome evil with good by focusing upon Christ, for the Lord is near. Indeed, Paul teaches the Philippians to power their gentle response to persecution by turning to God in prayer. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And when Paul says not to be anxious, he uses a Greek term that literally means to be divided into parts. Parts that are figuratively uh, going to pieces, as it were, because one is being pulled in different directions. Paul is saying, 
Don't allow the anger that wells up within you in the face of evil to pull you apart from your choice to exhibit the gentle character of Christ and to overcome evil with good. Rather, in the face of evil, focus upon the love of God displayed in Jesus. And in an attitude of thanksgiving, put God at the heart of how you deal with your every wish and need and want by consciously making your heart known to him. If you do this, says Paul, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This actually makes very good psychological sense. Dr. Jean Segal explains that worrying keeps you in your head thinking about how to solve problems rather than allowing yourself to feel the underlying emotions. But you can't worry your emotions away. While you're worrying, your feelings are temporarily suppressed. But as soon as you stop, they bounce back. The only way out of this vicious cycle is by learning to embrace your feelings, she says. Well, it's safe to share our feelings with God because he already knows them. And he already loves us, unconditionally, anyway. This prayer recommended by Paul isn't for God's benefit, but for ours. As Christian counsellor Rick McGregor explains, this process stops anger from becoming aggression without making it suppressed anger, both of which are destructive. By shaping that anger into a constructive, assertive anger, an anger that asks for what it wants in simple, direct fashion, while considering the needs and feelings of others. A person's feelings and needs are honestly communicated while maintaining respect and consideration for others. As Paul says in Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. So how is it that after their own slaughter of the innocents, Egypt's Christians do not retaliate with violence, but continue to be forgiving? It's because in their anger, they sing hymns to the Lord who has mercy. May our prayer be that the Spirit of Christ will help us to do the same thing in the various difficult circumstances of our own lives. Amen.